Welcome back to the Colorado Switchblade. I'm your host, Jason Vantino, coming to you from a snowy, windy day in the mountains. It's beginning to look a lot like the holidays up here. I went down to the valley to uh, get a haircut. I got I got one of the one of the biggest journalists in Norway coming out tomorrow to um, with a crew to do an interview profile piece on me and um, and kind of what I've been doing since the January 6th events. Um, so, you know, wanted to, to spruce up because, man, you, when you live up in the mountains in the wintertime, you just let it grow. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, come, driving back, the snow started hitting, like, right when I hit, I don't know, Pinewood Springs all the way up to Pole Hill. And I thought, you know, the the, the SS bubble might protect things, but it didn't because uh, that snow hit hard last night. We woke up to, I don't know, four or six inches here in the Estes Valley. Um, so I'm glad I got home when I did. Anyway, um, well, what's the news today? So personally, my uh, book has, I actually got my number one first bestseller uh, ranking. This is on Amazon. Um, but for like three days this week, because I, I started checking um, after like my MSNBC appearances and on Cuomo and stuff, just to kind of see what things are doing. I do that from now time to time. And, uh, for like three days now I've hit number one, not, not consecutively. I don't think, um, in, uh, Amazon books under, under politics and anarchism of all things. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm this morning, I was sitting at like 400,000 in the sales ranking, which sounds like a lot, but I mean, there's so many books in Amazon sales. Like normally my other fiction books are like 4 million. They're nothing. Um, but 400,000 compared to 4 million, like that's a pretty decent jump. So I can only hope that uh, this really will uh, help benefit my family's economic reality. We made it through the holidays. Um, and, uh, you know, I've got, some, I've got some projects coming up. I actually have a call I got to get on later today with a major production studio that I worked with in the past. Uh, I'm not going to say who yet because I don't want to jinx it, um, but they're interested in possibly bringing me on as a uh, executive producer and writer and and to star in some stuff. So uh, I'll let you guys know how that goes later on. You never know with this stuff. And right now, Hollywood's in, in turmoil. Like I'm, I'm literally developing two series right now, um, one based on conspiracy theory um, and and really digging into that with some other people. Again, I'm not going to mention the studio names or anything because I don't want to jinx it. This stuff is so precarious. Like, um, it's kind of like a sandcastle, you know, you spend all this time building it up and just the breathing on it wrong and it can all just fall away. So I don't want to put too much stock in it, but I'm going to, I'm just going to run at it, you know, without abandon and just try to try to manifest it. Um, but some very, very big opportunities. So, uh, excited about that. And um, man, let's let's get into news. So today we're going to be before we get into kind of the, the the news of the week. Let's let's talk about what we're going to be what the interview will be later today or later on in the episode. Um, continuing on with my future of the Estes Valley series, we've kind of been talking about the school district and the direction that's going to go with the charter school decisions and such. Um, and uh, I also had an opportunity over the weekend to sit down with Fire Chief Wolf. David Wolf of the Estes Valley Fire Protection District. Um, and I had written an article when their, their mailers came out and such um, talking about kind of 
you know, they're, they're kind of trying to take the temperature of the community and see where we stand because we've got to look to our future and, and specifically kind of five and 10 years out and where, where we think we're going to be as a community um, in our strategic planning. And um, so uh, we, we sit down with Chief Wolf. I also have a video of him going through and kind of showing us the fire station, um, just kind of a visual tour. Um, that I'll figure out some way. I may have to put it on its own because you can't combine podcast episodes and videos on Substack. So I think what I may do is just put it out onto its own post that doesn't go out to all of the email people, um, the, the the big list, because uh, I don't like giving two items at, in one day unless it's like serious breaking news and updates are needed for the community. So what I think I might do is just put it up on its own video page and link to it because Substack does really good with embedding like previous articles. And I'm going to embed the previous article I wrote on, on the, the fire department and, and kind of the, the polling they're doing, they're asking for community input and, and want to know what, what we think the future of the Estes Valley will be. So today will be kind of our, the future of Estes series um, continuing on and a a discussion with Chief Wolf about, um, you know, just kind of breaking through some of the mythology because things are good. You know, we, we didn't lose, we we had minimal impacts from the historical historic fires um, two years back. And, And then, and then last year, uh, this year, beginning of this year, when was Crew to Rock? Um, you know, we, we've gotten lucky and, and our fire department does a great job. Um, but I think that kind of makes people a little lax and, and just feel like, oh, no, everything's great. You know, our, our, our first responder heroes are doing great. Um, but that's not necessarily the case. So I thought it'd be great to sit down with Chief Wolf and, and have a discussion about kind of where the fire department is currently, what our needs may be moving forward into the future and um, just kind of have a conversation over, over a cup of coffee kind of. Um, and then we're doing that. I'm doing that again. I, I just yesterday interviewed the new police chief that just first week here on the job and had a great discussion with him too. So we've got the fire chief followed by the police chief that that won't be in this episode um, because I want to give them, you know, they're both separate entities these are important stories, you know, important conversations. So rather than combine them two, I thought it would be better. I'm just going to put it out in a, a couple of days. Uh, the fire, or sorry, the police chief um, interview. And, uh, you know, I got to say, I, I'm I'm just really impressed with the decision that the town has made. Um, I think he's a great fit. And, uh, you know, see if you agree with me. Listen to the, the interview. We kind of just talk about some of his personal philosophies and and what some of the I use the term challenges that the police department may be facing. He's he uses the term opportunities. But I think they're both great interviews. They they really let us get to know the leadership of two of our critical first responder um agencies here in the Estes Valley. And um yeah, so I, I think it's gonna be great. Before we get into that, let's uh first thing I want to do is just thank my sponsors, the uh historic park theater here in Estes Park and the Real Mountain Theater, also here in Estes Park. Actually, I just went and saw um, Black Panther 2 and was really impressed with that. Um, The costumes are amazing. The storyline was pretty good. 
Um, you know, and it, it's just an emotional picture because of the the death of the the star actor in in Black Panther one, um, and and just kind of the crew and his his fellow actors. Um, you know, you can see that loss and and emotion reaction in their performances, and I think it just it 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 makes it more powerful of a piece. So um, it's in theaters now. You can see it at the uh, I think it's over at the uh, real theater cinema still. That's where I saw it. Um, next week, uh, Avatar two opens up. I'm going to go to the pre-release party of that. And, um, you know, I, I loved watching Avatar the first time and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's got some big shoes to fill and they've spent a lot of money. And I mean, it's got a clear 2 billion just to make any money back, um, over 2 billion, I think. So we'll, we'll see about that. Um, in other news, I don't know if you saw this week's kind of been crazy in the world of politics. Um, we'll start off with Trump's call for termination of the constitution. Um, and um, yeah, so this is, this is coming out of the New York times um, an article written by Maggie Astor, where she says an extraordinary anti-democratic statement from former president Donald J. Trump suggests the termination of the constitution um, to overturn the 2020 election. And it drew a degree of bipartisan condemnation over the weekend with a flood from Democrats and a trickle from Republicans. Um, But it did not appear to do any more than similar past actions and prompting Republican officials to rule out supporting Mr. Trump in 2024, um, inaccurately describing the contents of a just released report about Twitter's moderation decisions about the 2020 campaign. Mr. Trump again demanded that the 2020 election be overturned or rerun for the first time explicitly calling to set aside the supreme law of the land. He's quoted as saying, a massive fraud of this type and magnitude allows for the termination of all rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the Constitution. He wrote in a post on Saturday on his social network, Truth Social. Um, And again, he he was responding to a report Friday night about Twitter employees' internal deliberations over the company's decision back in 2020 to block links to a New York Post article that described emails found on a laptop belonging to Hunter Biden, Mr. or sorry, President Biden's son. Um, And that, that report is largely fizzled and fallen flat. Um, But the fact that he is literally, I mean, this is a guy who swore an oath to uphold the constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic. And now he's calling and he's trying to run again to, and, and now he's calling to just disregard it. And this, uh, I think illustrates kind of where things are going. I mean, it's just craziness. Um, you know, you have the oath keepers that are supposedly, you know, the namesake is that specific oath that, that, um, political leaders and military and law enforcement take, um, to uphold the constitution that the, the oath keepers get their namesake from and they're tearing apart the constitution too. It's just, we're in bizarro world. I mean, it, it's just so crazy. Did you guys see that, that interview that ye did on Infowars? If you haven't seen it, don't go to Infowars. Don't, don't watch it because we don't want to give this anymore. But I mean, I sat down and I got through maybe an hour of it. 
Um, and it starts off just, just again, crazy, bizarro weirdness. He's sitting there in, I mean, I don't know if it's a BDSM mask or just some sort of weird fashion statement um, where Yi has got this black mask with like zippered eye holes. He's wearing a big kind of NASCAR inspired jacket or something. Um, black gloves, like completely covered. Um, and on Alex Jones, and he's literally the whole thing seemed to be a tirade against Jewish people. I mean, it, it this is bold faced anti-Semitism and literally saying he liked Hitler. Again, going back to this Hitler thing, um with Yi. And and I don't think he quite gets, I don't think he quite understands like you wouldn't do so well as a human being in in the ranks and the, the in the myths and the, the the you know the environment that the Nazis created when they they committed genocide on a mass scale. I, I don't think he understands like you, you wouldn't be special there. Um, your celebrity status, I don't think would do you much good. And I don't think life would work out quite the way you would think if if Nazism took hold. It wouldn't work so well for you or your children. Like, this is just, it's craziness. Again, we have this cognitive discord that's happening. So, uh, you know, it's just, our world seems like, at least nationally, is really all I can speak of. But I think it's happening uh, throughout the world. Like, it just seems like we're living in some alternate universe where everything's a reality tv show like it just has that flavor i don't know it's crazy um but we need to speak out against it i actually um i was approached by some people i as you as my listeners know my readers know um we um i i went down to tucson or phoenix arizona and and did that um political ad um speaking out against mark fincham uh, the former oath keeper who wanted to dismantle the um, the election process in the state of Arizona, and um, luckily enough, uh, the voters rejected that craziness. And re- as, uh, this week, also the uh, the lake was drained when when the election results were were finally certified due to a a, um, a judgment. So uh, I was reached out to from some some folks that are organizing in uh, New Mexico. They're, they're putting together kind of a series of almost Ted-like talk discussions um, around kind of our current political issues. Um, and I've been talking for a long time about the power of storytelling, kind of what that's done. Last, last episode, I talked about, you know, the power of mind comp, a, a poorly written book really had with the planting the seeds of fascism across Europe and now in America. Um, and I thought this would be a great opportunity to put together a Ted like talk, a little 20 minute thing and just put it out there. And, you know, these are people that have worked with Ted, um, both regionally and nationally, I believe. Um, so I'll I'll have someone kind of coaching me on it and help me put it together. Um, it won't be an actual Ted talk, but it could be used for something like that moving forward. And this is a, a, you know, a subject I've been speaking on a lot, um, and how, we need to be very aware of the techniques used, the propaganda techniques, and just the power of storytelling. Um, but how we can use that same power to kind of get to a better place. So I'm really going to dig in and put together this kind of 20 minute talk about, um, 
you know, my thoughts on storytelling and, and fighting this, this, this rising tide of fascism that, that really has figured out a lot of these, these, um, these techniques of propaganda and just, you know, they, 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 they've stumbled onto something and, um, it, it, it certainly had damaging experience, you know, consequences for people throughout the world. So I think it's something we need to, to look at critically and think about critically and, and really kind of as a nation, look at kind of what's happened there, um, you know, and how, how those techniques have helped push us towards where we saw the events of January 6th um, and kind of go from there. Um, so, yeah, let's go ahead and just get right into this interview with Fire Chief David Wolf of the Estes Valley Fire Protection District. And I'm just going to let him uh, speak in his own words. So here we go. All right. Well, we're here with Fire Chief Wolf at the uh, the Estes Valley Fire Protection District. And we just wanted to have a, a quick conversation today of kind of about the needs of the, the fire department moving forward and the reality of of where we really are sitting. So let's let's first start off. Thanks thanks for uh, taking the time to do this interview first and foremost. And then tell my listeners just a little bit about yourself. You know what brought you to the Estes Valley. Just do, humanize yourself a little bit to us. Sure. Um, yeah. So uh, my name is David Wolf. I've been the fire chief here since June of 2016. Um, I started in the fire service as a volunteer back in Pennsylvania while going to college and kept volunteering uh, through graduate school and spent um, first 10 years in the fire service up in the Northeast uh, going to school. Then I moved down to Texas uh, working as a research scientist, continued volunteering there, worked for a large combination department. And then in 2016, was fortunate to to land the job here. And uh, my family and I moved here in 2016. Uh, my wife has a background as a science teacher, got involved in the school board. Um, my kids go to the Estes Park Elementary now and kindergartner and a third grader. Uh, youngest one was born here in town. And um, yeah, so that's uh, a little bit about myself. And then you know, the, the agency at this point, we've got uh, eight full-time employees and uh, about 40 volunteers that, that serve the community. And so um, and that's in all the things the fire district does from uh, response and operations that people are probably very familiar with, going to fires, going to car crashes, going to rope rescues, uh, helping out on medical calls, and then um, all the prevention stuff that we try and do as well, as far as education and outreach with regard to wildfire, uh, existing occupancies, new constructions, working alongside the building departments for the town and county, uh, and then the, the management of the administration. So you put out a, a mailer and a survey as well recently, and um, tell us a little bit about what you're doing with that and, and why you're reaching out to the community. Yeah. So over the last um, six years that I've been here, you know, we are, of course, are trying to evaluate our own programs, uh, where we're, we're succeeding and excelling, uh, where there might be opportunities for us to improve that service, and to try and understand what the trends look like in our community. So over the last six years, we've put a lot of effort into uh, our training programs, our equipment, uh, and making sure that the investments that we're making are, are to help us in the right ways to, to best serve the community. Um, as we continue to work on that, we're also trying to think about the future. and What does that look like? So over the last uh, about year and a half, the agency has been doing a lot of internal conversations about what do we think is important? How do we want to measure success? What do we think success looks like in those different arenas from a, a response standpoint, from a prevention standpoint? Um, and 
And then from that, getting to the point of feeling like, okay, we think we have some ideas of things that we could do that would improve the service that we provide for our community or additional services we're not currently providing, uh, or thinking about how we stay ahead of any trends, increasing visitation, increasing demands, uh, increasing risk of wildfire. So we put together that sort of list of ideas throughout the summer uh, and into the fall. And then that was where those types of things went into that survey to say, go out to the community and say, okay, we've been thinking about this. Here's some ideas of things that we think might be valuable. Um, and to get a sense of where they where the community stands on that. Is there uh, support or concerns about those ideas um, to help get some ideas on priorities? So as we talk about these different things to see where people stand on how they'd rank wildfire risk reduction versus other emergency response versus other types of prevention, um, to then determine whether or not to go to the voters in the spring. And if we choose to go to the voters to decide what to ask. So at this point, um, we're really in the data collection phase of we've been doing the work and we're trying to get some feedback from the community on it. And then just, you know, personally, where do you think we need to be going? I mean, what are the, some of the things you think we need to be looking at as possibilities for the near term future as far as being, re being ready to and prepared to tackle some of the issues we're going to be facing in, you know, five, 10 years? Yeah. Um, so as a community, it's, it's always important for us to it's. The, the government services are going to be provided at the level the community wants. And so it's important to have that conversation and try and understand what we do think are the risks. And risk is always somewhat subjective because it depends on how you perceive the impact of that risk and the probability of that risk. So as we talk about each of those things, some of it is getting that sense of where people stand and, and how they feel about what's important. Some of the things that we're noticing, of course, is um, our call volume is driven by the number of people in the community. So as visitation goes up, the demands for services will increase. Um, part of what we try and look at is, is what types of calls we're running more of. Um, are there ways that we can be more efficient in our response? Um, so we're thinking about those types of things. Um, we're, we're looking at um, the, the current revenue that we have as a district, which is a mix of, of sales tax heavily funded by visitation and property tax funded by the people who live here. Um, and looking at, at whether or not those are going to be volatile and, and able to sustain the growth that we think we might need. Um, and the other piece of that is trying to think about timelines. Uh, any, any major change to the agency isn't implemented overnight. So right. if we think there's going to be a major change we need to respond to, we want to start responding before that hits. So that's where, as, at this point, uh, our volunteers have been fantastic. Our trainings you know, have been really something we've been pushing and we're very proud of, building those relationships with our partners. Uh, and we're able to handle the call volume so then the question becomes, well, what happens if the call volume keeps increasing? How do we stay ahead of that? Do we think there'll be more visitation? Do we think there'll be more growth in the community? Um, so the main thing that I'm looking at and thinking about is what's this town going to look like in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years? And how do we need to continue to evolve as an agency to stay ahead of that instead of waiting for something bad to happen to then be reactive? And so what do you think with that? I mean, where do you think that we're going to be seeing ourselves in five, 10 years? Just personally, I know you don't have all the data, yeah. and stuff, but yeah. you know, just you, you're, you're the one in the mix. You, you guys are on the front line. So where do you think it will go? Just uh, so it's, you know, there's different things we can look at uh, over the last, uh, since the fire district was created about 10 years ago, 12 years ago now, uh, vote in 2009, created in 2010. We've already seen our full-time population increase about 20% from about 10,000 to 12,000 in the Valley. Um, expect that we will see some more increase as we increase density. Uh, if some of the workforce housing that's been approved through other measures gets built, um, we'll, we'll see some of those increases. Uh, on the visitation side, certainly we've seen an incredible increase in visitation over the last 10, 20 years. Yeah. Um, 
hard to know where that's headed, whether or not we're okay, we're at the max and we're going to plateau now, or we're going to keep going. Um, given the other things that are outside of our control, I don't see that dropping off. I, I would yeah. expect it's going to at least maintain, if not continue to increase. Um, so that's kind of the starting point that we're looking at as we start thinking about building our plan is that we expect full-time population to continue to grow. We expect visitation to uh, at least stay constant, if not increase. And we see the cost of goods continuing to rise right now. So even if that levels off, we, you know, we don't see it de- decreasing. Um, so, so those are kind of the big things that are, are driving our next steps as we look at what we think we need. Right. And what do you think those, big, those, those next steps might be? I mean, there's talk about the firehouse, which is something yep. that obviously is interesting to me. Uh, another thing that, I, you know, as an, mm-hmm. a citizen of Essex Park, you know, wildfire is very much on my mind these days. And I think yep. that's true of most of the town. Yep. You know, so those are the, when I was going through the survey, those were the two things that really kind of stuck out to me. Um, and, yep. and I think, uh, so, so explain where you think we are on that and where, what you think we're going to need to kind of yep. face some of the, those challenges. So I'll start with the wildfire piece. So uh, certainly we've also noticed the wildfire risk and, and feel that a little <laughs> bit. Um, and, and some of the things that we, we look at as we have some of these major fires is what are the things we can do about them? And then how do we get more engaged? Uh, a big project that, that took place from sort of late mid 2020 uh, until this past summer was updating our community wildfire protection plan, which is a, includes a third party coming in to kind of evaluate where we're at in our wildfire preparedness and starting to outline some ideas of things that we can be doing at the community scale. Um, so part of the plan that we're looking at or some of the priorities that we had identified was being able to do more with wildfire education, wildfire prevention, and wildfire mitigation type work. Um, and so depending on, on what ends up getting included in the final version, uh, that's increasing the amount of education outreach we're doing to homeowners, education outreach to HOAs and neighborhoods, uh, continuing our partnerships with our federal partners and our state partners that are already doing mitigation work and seeing where there might be some opportunities to do that kind of mitigation on the private side. Um, so we're not just counting on Rocky Mountain National Park to do all of the mitigation upwind of us. Um, we've been working really closely with our watershed coalition to try and identify some of those priorities. So some of the things that, that came out was uh, the a desire to add personnel that can be focused solely on wildfire mitigation education, outreach, and reduction of fuels, uh, helping homeowners do fuels reduction on their properties. So it's great. We come out, we tell you, you need to thin these fuels. Uh, you may be able to do those things. You may not. You may have the resources to transport that slash, or you may not. So ways that we might be able to help uh, neighbors and neighborhoods accomplish some of those objectives. I know I've got some branches that were taken down last weekend that are sitting uh, in my front yard. I'm wondering how I'm going to what I'm going to do with them if, yep. you know, they don't come and grab them. So Yeah, so that, those are some of the things that we're looking at um, from the wildfire side. Um, on the operations side, uh, we, we've been uh, really diligent on trying to, to be effective with the funds that we've had. Uh, we've been able to replace a lot of our apparatus. We're maintaining a really uh, modern fleet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we're, we're in great shape on our apparatus. Uh, some of the things that we're looking at is our, our volunteer numbers. Um, while holding at 40, have been 35 to 40 members for about 20 years. Right. We've been holding constant on membership. So trying to look at ideas to how do we further support our volunteers, uh, expand that volunteer group so that we've got more people available to respond. And uh, what steps might we take that would help on uh, our consistency and response side for timing of having people in the building? Uh, we are not a busy enough department to need full-time staffing 
24 seven, 365 uh, for multiple engines. Looking at whether or not it would be cost effective to add a single person in the stations 24 seven to help with some of those pieces. Um, looking at projects like resident volunteer programs that other communities have done as a cost effective way to increase that number of people around the building. Um, and that, or, a program like that would be basically you give that person um, housing in yeah. exchange for volunteer work. Correct. So a lot of those resident programs, uh, they're typically two to three year programs. Uh, the agency provides housing, provides training opportunities and in exchange for that duration, those people are doing shifts. They're in the stations. Uh, they're doing education and outreach. They're responding to calls. They're helping with pre-plans. They're, they're getting an education and training and certification. Uh, but they're also contributing back to that community quite gotcha. uh, quite considerably. Um, so we're looking at some of those different options to just how do we continue to um, support our volunteers and our volunteer model and improve that service at the same time. Um, so, so those are some of the pieces that we were looking at. And then uh, with the facility, um, the big piece there comes down to uh, a couple of pieces. One is office space. You know, our, our fire station was built in 1996. It's still in fantastic shape. Uh, we are going to continue to operate out of this location, being the central location that it is. Um, we're on land that is owned by the Bureau of Reclamation, which limits our ability to expand this facility. Uh, and when it was built, we had no paid staff. Right. So now uh, with eight paid staff between administration and prevention and operations, um, we've turned every broom closet into an office. We've converted those spaces. Uh, and unfortunately, that also meant that we've lost some of our social spaces that our volunteers would use and people would have to hang out in. Um, so we've been making the most out of this space. Uh, we want to continue to have this space. And we are looking at ways we might make this more efficient for our volunteers, for our responders, for people that are on shift. Uh, and then looking at other options for offices and trying to figure out is the most cost effective uh, thing to try and rent office space in town, to try and buy a location to move offices out of, or looking at uh, whether or not there would be um, support for a facility that we would construct. And, and so that's where we started in the survey asking about another station because we could put offices in it. Uh, we could improve our training meeting room space to make it big enough for the number of volunteers that we have. Um, and we can improve coverage to parts of town that we don't currently have any facilities. So looking down on the south end of town, um, adjacent to Carriage Hills, adjacent to Prospect Estates, um, and, and then out that area. Um, so those were some of the things that we were looking at. And, and if we were to add a facility, whether or not we'd want to try and house that resident apartments there, or if we try and rent or buy apartments some other way. Right. Um, as much as the fire district isn't, uh, doesn't want to get into the housing business, as we see housing costs, um, you know, the, the only way we can guarantee housing for some of our employees or some of our volunteers is for us to have, have that. So that's where we're looking at some of those options. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's a perfect example of the, the housing situation here in Estes, you know, we were there, there is, it is becoming more difficult to, to kind of recruit and retrain or recruit and retain, um, mm-hmm. you know, the people we need to do the basic functions of, of society, whether that be teaching or medical or fire protection yeah. law enforcement as well as running into these same issues so yeah you know and and on the you know again i mentioned how great our volunteers are and how much training they do uh it takes a long time to get uh all the different competencies that you might want someone to have as a firefighter so even when they um Hold they on just turned second. off yeah was it on but not recording uh no it was definitely recording okay Okay, that's right. I can start that section. And we've got it on here too. No, you're good. Um, 
one of the things with the amount of time that we invest in, in our members is, is they come in and immediately they, they go through fire Academy and they start working on some of those basic skills. And then usually in their first five years, we're getting them those foundations, firefighter one, firefighter two, EMS training. We might start introducing them to some of the disciplines like swift water. Mm -hmm. Um, and then as someone who, if they stick around long enough in that five to 10 years, we really start developing uh, our officers and the, the people that are going to be able to help out with some of the more highly technical uh, disciplines like rope, uh, getting more experience in structural firefighting, wildland firefighting. And then, um, and then they really start to have that foundation that, that helps them continue to contribute into the long run. So it's not just about having enough volunteers. It's, of course, having our volunteers that have the depth and the experiences that right. we, we always want our groups to have. Um, we've got the resources to be able to provide those for people. And it turns into, can they stick around long enough? Right. And, and we've got some of those members that have been here for you know, over four decades and, and some that they come, they, they give what they can while they're here. And then for life moves them away. Yep. Um, so you, you got back some preliminary numbers on the survey. Can mm -hmm. you just go over some of what you found there? Yeah. So we're, um, we're going to have the, the, all the data, ana uh, analyzed by our third party that, that helped us do the survey and that'll get presented at our public meeting on December 14th. Um, we do know that we had, uh, over 400 respondents. We're really excited with the amount of, of engagement that we got and the amount of, of comments that people made. Um, some of those early things looking through the numbers and, and trying to understand it. Uh, there'll be a lot of discussion about what that looks like next, but um, certainly a recurring theme was uh, trying to understand where what the need is and where that's coming from and, and more detail. And you know, that's certainly something we are, are looking to find the most effective ways to help get the get time to sit with people and, and address those concerns and questions, how to make sure they understand here's what we're seeing or what we're looking at or what we're concerned about. Um, the survey was certainly uh, an opportunity for us to get some feedback from the community about what their priorities are. And that was a big part of what we wanted to get out of this and why I'm excited to see that data because we, we always anticipated that when we put everything in that, that survey um, that it wasn't going to be universally loved to do all of it. So right. wanted to hear back from people. Okay. If we're going to, we don't want to do any of it or we want to do part of it, which parts do we care about most? Um, how do we scale those things and adjust them? Uh, so at, at this point, that's where that survey is really going to help us out. And I'm excited to, to have that full conversation at our board meeting in two weeks. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll take a look at it then. Yeah. Um, and then you also had surveyed just internally with you mm -hmm. amongst your volunteer ranks and, and employees and such. Mm -hmm. What what were some of the trends you found there? I mean, I, I, yeah. I posted it on the website, and whatnot, yeah. but for the people listening, say for the first time, what, what, what kind of some of the trends that you guys saw? Yeah, so uh, a lot of the conversation that we've been having as we continue to go through that data, a lot of a lot of feedback within our own organization where um, it's been good because it's it's shown us areas where we've done an effective job of communicating, um, areas where even uh, you know with the complex agency that covers a lot of different facets, uh, where we maybe haven't given everybody the the same amount of background or info that they want to understand what's going on. So as we look at some of those priorities, identify where those um, questions might be, um, and of course, like any group with uh, 40 volunteers and eight staff and five board members. Uh, we've got a number of different perspectives and ideas on where we think the community is headed and what our agency needs to do to evolve. Yeah. So having those conversations, taking that data, seeing what information we have that's going to help us steer the next course and steer into the next piece because um, we, we have existed in, in some form as a service agency since 1907. Uh, of course, we've evolved from, from bucket brigades to hose carts to engines to, you know, we keep evolving as those things need. And, and 
we're going to continue to evolve and look into the future as best we can to figure out what's next. So let's talk a little bit about. I'll close that. Oh, yeah. I don't know. If, yeah. I don't know how sensitive this is if it's picking that up. Oh, it'll pick it up. And okay. I've got some filters that'll no, pull right. it out. Um, so let's talk about looking towards the future. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, really what this comes down to is funding. Yes. Um, so, and I know that there are a lot of people, including myself, mm-hmm. who don't necessarily understand mill levies and, and tax bases and just how, you know, a department like this is funded. So yep. let's, let's talk about that a little bit and maybe demystify some of it. Absolutely. And I'm going to do this calculation real quick so I can quote correct numbers. Um, okay. So, yeah. So, so first, the, the fire district is a somewhat unique district in our community in that we get a mix of sales tax and property tax. So a uh, little more than 50% of our budget comes from sales tax collected by the town of Estes Park, and then transferred to us through an intergovernmental agreement. Um, that 7% of the town sales tax is something that was agreed upon when they first established the district back in 2009 and, and has carried forward. So uh, as visitation has grown and sales tax revenue has gone up, that's certainly helped us because it's grown our revenues as well. And with that revenue growth, that's allowed us to replace the aging apparatus. It's allowed us uh, to add three additional positions to be able to do more, uh, more prevention work, more training, more volunteer uh, recruitment. Uh, and so that's where a lot of that, that revenue growth has gone into our agency and improving the services that we can offer. On the property tax side, property tax makes about 40% of our revenue. Um, and, and the way that works for someone who lives in Colorado, uh, in the Estes Valley, median home price is about $750,000. Your house might be more, might be less. But, you know, the median price there is 750000 So that seven, that the value of your house, as determined by the Larimer County Assessor, gets multiplied against an assessment rate. And that assessment rate varies depending on the type of property. If it's residential, today it's 7.15%. If it's commercial, it's 29%. And that gives you an assessed value um, of that property. And that is what your mill levy is levied against. So... Uh, one one thousandth is is a single mill levied against that. So seven hundred fifty thousand dollars has an assessed value of fifty three thousand, and so one mill is equivalent to fifty three dollars. Okay. So for for a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar house, one mill ends up being fifty dollars. The fire district currently has a mill levy of one point nine five eight, so just under two. So your seven hundred fifty thousand dollar house, you're paying just around a hundred dollars per year for fire protection. Now, there's other districts that also have mill levies. The library's around four and a half mills. Um, the school's around 25 mills. Larimer County's 25 mills. Um, there's school has a bond issue. Each of those things, you pay that number of mills to those respective districts. Now, you pay it as 70 mills and you pay your total tax bill um, to the county, mm-hmm. who then distributes it out to each of the districts. So, um, when you get your tax statement, you see that breakdown of what, what taxing entities you pay into and provide you services. And depending on where you live, that varies. So you might live within a, a road authority or a property authority that, that has another mill levy, or you live inside the hospital district, but outside of the library district. Right. So each of those, you know, your, your tax bill is customized based on where you live. But So just for comparison, yeah. um, tell us, how does the, the, the funding that the Estes Valley... Uh, fire protection district gets 
compared to other similar sized communities in Northern Colorado? Sure. Uh, and this is where it always get, you know, it's a tricky conversation because finding another analysis can get different funding yeah. sources and things. But if we took, um, if we treated all of our sales tax like property tax for the, the sake of being able to compare it to an agency that doesn't get sales tax, um, if all our sales tax revenue, all our property tax revenue, all was property tax, we'd be around a four and a half mills, um, which means we we have about the same annual budget as um, the library district here in Estes um, compared to other fire districts around us. Uh, within um, the state of Colorado, uh, there's only two other fire districts that have mills as low as two mills or less. Um, the average mill levy is typically in the eight to 11 mill range. And then depending on which part of the state you're in, you know, just here in Larimer County, Loveland's around eight mills, Pinewood Springs is around eight mills, Allen's Park is around eight mills. Um, and now the mill levy, one mill is the same one mill uh, wherever you own your house. But for a taxing district, it depends on the amount of valuation within their district. So within the Estes Valley, we have a lot more valuation that we protect than Pinewood Springs does and less than an Aspen. Right. So so those numbers end up varying. Um, but so that's where, you know, part of it is we're looking at What's my contribution as an individual taxpayer? And then, of course, as a taxing district, what service am I trying to provide out to, to those communities? So that infrastructure, yeah. Yeah. Um, so our community is about 90% residential. Uh, we have around $4.5 billion worth of valuation within the Estes Valley wow. between residential and commercial and everything else. And um, uh, that's you know fortunate to, to cover a community that's um, got some high-value property and, and lots of homes and, and things. And and that adds with it, of course, the, the burden of, of the response on those. Right. So, um, <clears throat> so where do you think we, I mean, so mm-hmm. the next, the next step really is see what, what the numbers really, mm-hmm. uh, show us. And that'll be coming up in the next couple of weeks. The numbers from the survey. Yep. Um, if people are wanting to reach out and, and communicate with you. Um, as far as, you know, what their thoughts are, you know, what their concerns are, what they'd like to see. Yeah. Um, or if they just, like me, have questions, they don't understand how things necessarily work. Yeah. What's the best way for them to really do that with you? Sure. So um, so first, as far as like trying to keep tabs on what we're up to and what conversations we're having, as was mentioned, our, our board meeting is going to be Wednesday, December 14th at 5.30 p.m., also available on Zoom. Is that here? Uh, it'll be here at the firehouse, um, which doesn't have a ton of room, but we also have a Zoom option, so okay. that's usually the easiest. Uh, at that meeting, the results of the public survey will be presented, and that will kind of be the final piece of information the board's been looking for to to determine the next steps. So over, um, you know, at that meeting and following it will be the conversations about based on what we've heard, based on what priorities are, do we want to go out to the voters with a question in, in May? If so, what question are we asking? What are we going to try and accomplish or not accomplish with that? Um, I'm anticipating it's not going to be everything that was in the survey. So trying to take that data to, to look at what's next. Um, as people have questions and, and outreach and, and things, uh, easiest options are you can contact us through our website. So right on estesvalleyfire.org. Um, we left the survey page up so people can still go and look at what was uh, what background information was provided there but they can send us messages through the website uh, of their questions, things that they'd like to know more about. They can email us at info at estesvalleyfire.org um, and we can respond to them and let them know, you know, answer their questions. Um, and as we, if we do end up starting to move towards asking a ballot question, we certainly want to have opportunities to, to try and address some of these questions because um, there's a, some of this information. There's of course a lot of 
background that can go into it and trying to find that sweet spot of making sure we're getting info out without overwhelming people knowing that, you know, if I put a mailer in your box every week, you're just going to recycle them. Right. So trying to, to so get that, that info out. Would that look like, you know, at your board meetings or whatnot, having a public comment, uh, period of time like we see at a school board or a town sure board. yeah I mean, we have public comment sections at our our, our meetings um, if we start going that way I would expect we'd also have dedicated info sessions where people can come okay. we might have a short presentation on things that we want to talk about but opening it up for questions so that we can hear that and and that's a big part of what we want to make sure we understand and something that we're really going to be looking for from this public survey is if there are um, People that want certain types of information that we haven't been able to provide so far, or there's misperceptions about those, um, that's going to help us know what we need to do to, to do a better job of communicating and educating. Um, and there might be some things that we hear loud and clear that there's just not interested in, and that's okay. And we'll, we'll put that on the back burner and possibly revisit it down the road. So it really depends on the community and what, what they're feeling like they... Yeah, I mean, ultimately, we, um, there, there's going to be a big part of this that's going to be driven by the community. Uh, and certainly as we go through that data, there'll be some things that came up. It's like, we think this is a good idea. The community thinks this is a good idea. Great. Let's move forward. Um, if there's something that, uh, we were on the fence about and the community doesn't support, then that's an easy one to, 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 uh, ax. The ones that'll get interesting is if it's something we think is really important at, at the board, um, the chief's level, we, we think that's something that needs to be addressed and we're not seeing that support in the survey. We might look at that and say, okay, we want to do a better job of trying to get the word out. Cause at yeah. the end of the day, um, people are going to vote in support of or against a funding source. And right. if the funding's there, we are able to do those some of those additional services we don't currently offer. If the funding's not, we're not able to offer them. So uh, if we are, if we choose to go out to the voters, we are going to do our best to to explain our case, our justification, uh, to continue to hopefully demonstrate that I feel we've been very fiscally responsible with the budget that we've had and the time we've been here. And um, want to reassure people that if we were uh, provided with additional funding, that it would be used in a responsible way to improve services. Um, so that's uh, that's a big part of what we're looking at and, and making sure we're being good stewards with our tax dollars. All right. Well, is there anything that we have been touching on or haven't touched on rather that you'd like to, to talk about? Should have thought about that ahead of time. Um, <laughs> And I can edit this. So no, that's fine. Um, I think the biggest thing is, you know, we're, we're really excited to see what kind of questions people came up with or concerns that they share in the survey. And of course, as people have more time to think about this, questions that might arise, uh, I, I want to hear what those questions are so that we have an opportunity to address them. There's um, sitting in this job, thinking about this for the last 23 years. You know, there's some things in my head that, that make sense and some things that are obvious to me that... Uh, perhaps aren't what's on people's minds. So I want to know what people are thinking, what their concerns are, what their questions are, um, and, and so that we can hopefully try and clarify some of those things and, and why when we say that you know a bond issue could potentially cost this much, what all gets covered by by that large of a bond or, or right. you know, why is construction cost as high as it is? Um, so those are some of the things that if there's questions, I want to make sure that I'm addressing what people's questions are, not just what I think is important, but what they're concerned about. All right. Well, I want to take the opportunity just to say thank you to, to you and all the volunteers here. Uh, you guys, in my opinion, do a great job. And, you know, having been a volunteer first responder, I can tell you that I know how much time and just how much it takes to do that. And, uh, you know, you guys, you all are doing great here. So I just want to take time to thank you in, in person, face to face. 
appreciate that. And I, we've got a fantastic group of volunteers that put a ton of time in, very dedicated staff that, that believes in what we're doing here. And, um, and uh, most of us live right in this community and, and you know, we're, we're invested. So appreciate it. Well, there you have it, folks. Great conversation with Chief David Wolf of the Estes Valley Fire Protection District, um, breaking down some of the issues that we uh, we need to kind of make some decisions on moving forward. And um, man, if you got questions, if you're, you're, you're looking for, you want to give your input, reach out through the Estes Valley website. I'll put the link in on the show notes. I will also include a link to the previous coverage I did on this issue. And um and watch for our next episode coming out probably in a day or two um, where we're going to have a similar conversation with the new chief of police, David Hayes, who uh, began his service as SS Park's new police chief back uh, the 28th of November. So right after the during almost the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, and, uh, you know, he's... Uh, he has quite the career and, and really, um, you know, he was right in the middle of the Marshall fire. I think he's been tested on fire, um, both with conversations that I've had both on the record and off the record. You know, I think he really might be out of all the candidates, the best choice. Um, and, and just, I think he's a good fit. I really do. I'll let you make that decision for yourself though, because we've got a, uh, in-depth interview coming up with him later this week all right folks you've been listening to the colorado switchblade i'm your host as always jason van tatenhove stay safe out there folks